The following podcast contains language that you probably don't want to have to explain to your children. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January 21st, the Dino Dilemma edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, cultural critic, contributor to Slate's Karen Feeding Parenting column, host of a TBA news show for Slate Live. I'm not gone, I'm just taking a little bit of a break. And mom to the one and only Naima, who lives in Los Angeles, and I too am here as her co-star. Oh, <laughs> we, we are all Naima's co-stars. Uh, I'm Dan Coyce, I'm a writer at Slate, I'm the author of the book How to Be a Family, I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13, and we live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's eight, Oliver, who's six, and Teddy, who's four, and we live in Navarre, Florida. So as you may know, we record the show on Tuesday afternoons, and it's published on Thursdays. If you are in the United States, like the three of us are, you know that inauguration falls right in between that. Basically, we recorded this in the past with the assumption and hope that there would be a smooth transition of power, and we are treating the show as such, and we will leave the political coverage to Slate's What's Next, Political Gab Fest, and The Gist. But for today, we are going to be keeping it light, or for the very least, apolitical. Also, by the way, I am the vice president now. If you didn't know, my sorority sister, Kamala Harris, who attended the Howard University, which I also attended, is the vice president. So that means that I, too, am vice president now. Congratulations, Madam Vice Thank President. You. Thank you very much. I hope this absolves me for initially endorsing Elizabeth Warren. My sense is that means that Naima is the president. Naima is <laughs> definitely the president. <laughs> So let's have an orderly transition of power around here, folks. Yes. I'd like to have an orderly transition of power in my house, like when we try to shift from <laughs> playing Barbies to going to bed. Uh, but we have not been able to do that just yet. But I've got hope. Hope for 2021. So for the show, uh, we don't have political talk, but we do have a question about dinosaurs and parents with different ideas about evolution and creationism. Then we'll answer a question about preparing kids for their first concert, like the first concert they'll be going to without adult supervision, which is a rite of passage that many kids will be experiencing just as soon as the world is safe again. On our Slate Plus bonus segment, we'll be discussing the best hand-me-downs we've ever received and the hand-me-downs we are most excited to be keeping for our kids, or as I like to call mine, the archive. (laughs) And as always, we have triumphs and fails and recommendations. But first, so we got some fun emails from listeners about last week's discussion on sir and ma'am. First of all, it seems that other languages have done a better job uh, at working out solutions to this conundrum of gender-neutral honorifics than English has. For example, there's the suffix G, as in G-wiz, from Hindi, Urdu, and Punjabi. It signifies respect and is gender neutral, and it gets added to gender specific terms such as auntie, like auntie G. It can also go on someone's name, like Jamila G or Danji. It's similar to the Japanese san. One of our non binary listeners suggested trying pibbling, a gender neutral term for an aunt or uncle, parent sibling, pibbling. Never heard that before, but I love it. I love it. I haven't heard that one before, but it's much like nibbling, um, the gender neutral title for niece and nephew mm. that has started to spread is super adorable. Um, they also said that TT can work for close friends, though I will say be careful because TT and African-American vernacular English means auntie. 
which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it implies something specific to a lot of people here. Otherwise, uh, that's another option for a gender-neutral term uh, for your children to use for adults in their life. Of course, there are other ways to begin a conversation and denote respect other than a sir or a ma'am. There's always the good fashion, pardon me or excuse me, but the bottom line is ask people how they want to be addressed and address them as such respectfully. Thank you so much for your suggestions and uh, original letter writer. We hope that this was helpful to you uh, as it was to us. All right, now let's get into our triumphs and fails for the week. Dan, what do you have for us? A triumph or a fail? I feel like, are you on a triumph streak for the new year? Did I make that up? Uh, No, I've been on a triumph streak for a while, but unfortunately, Madam Vice President, I have a fail this week. Uh, So my fail is, uh, it's a continuing fail that's been going on for much of this year, much of the school year. And it is that I am just truly terrible at helping Harper with her homework. With Lyra, it's like really easy. We just, we interact well in that specific situation. She knows when she needs help and she knows how to ask for help. She really tries to figure things out on her own and sort of follows my train of thought. She knows when it's really helpful to go back to basics the way you sometimes do. You know, like if I'm like, you know, okay, what's the first step you should always use when factoring? Even if I've asked her that like 10 times before, she knows that it is useful to like go back to her factoring flowchart and go to that very first step and work her way through it. We just sort of get each other in this setting, apparently. But with Harper, it is totally different. And somehow we just totally push each other's buttons when I'm trying to help her with homework. Like I feel that she just wants me to tell her the answer. She doesn't want to work things out on her own. She feels, I think, that I'm too mean when I make her figure out an answer or that when I ask her to go back to the basics, she says, you're treating me like I'm a fifth grader, but I'm a seventh grader. But like, you know, I'll ask her, okay, why don't you look back at the formula for uh, force that you've learned? Do you remember what that is? She's like, yes, it's F equals MA. I know that already. And it just like drives her crazy. When we don't have this vibe really with other things that we're doing. But something about homework turns into this like high tension situation and it just always ends up in either a fight or just her having her feelings hurt and me being annoyed. And it's very frustrating to her and to me. And so now the result has been that she, you know, just clearly prefers homework help from Alia and she doesn't want to ask me for help. And that's clearly not fair to Alia. Uh, It also makes me feel like a big asshole. (laughs) Uh, and a failure at this totally basic parenting skill. So my resolution this spring for second semester is to to worm my way in there to help her with homework uh, when I can, but also while doing it to really listen to her as much as I can and just try to figure out what it is about her learning style that is different for me and how it is that I can be most helpful to her without both of us driving each other crazy. Because right now we are like oil and vinegar. But all I can say is thank God for actual teachers and thank God that I am not homeschooling because that would be a disaster. Dan, have you asked her like outside of the homework situation how she would like you to help her? I have not asked her that, but that's a great idea. She may it may just bring back all the bad feelings. <laughs> no, I mean, it might. I'll have to really put on like the acting hat so I can say with a straight face. I really want to help you with your homework. (laughs) Maybe you say, I really want to spend time with you. Yeah, that's true. And since you do a lot of homework (laughs) and I can 
Maybe so work seems like one of your interests. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, well, report back. Okay. <laughs> there are the moments where you're reminded that your parents are human. And I'm thinking about, like, the prospect of it even being suggested that I should help somebody with fifth or seventh grade level math homework <laughs> is the most terrifying. I think I'm like, so this is the day in which my child loses all respect for me, where she realizes it's all a facade or that you don't need fifth and seventh grade math uh, to survive in life. I will say that by seventh or eighth grade, the math reverts basically back to old math. Like it's mostly okay, the I- same as I learned it now. It's only okay. from like, I feel like, kindergarten through sixth grade pedagogically they've determined that this is the best way to set them up for like basic concepts and it's totally alien to us but now that they're like factoring and stuff that you there's only one way to factor you factor the same way you always did yeah whether you're adding by making tens and then adding all the extras or adding old math way right so there's still hope for you, Jamila. Jamila, YouTube. All I'm saying is you just dismiss yourself to go do something. You YouTube it. You come back. You're like, oh, did you know there's this fancy math trick that I can teach you? That's it. <laughs> That's what it is. Or maybe we cut out the middleman where it's like, look, this is why there is YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's just watch Fair. this together. You Let's know how much you together. love YouTube, kid? Here you go. Yes, good Here news. Here you go. It's your new homework helper. Yeah. Good luck doing that, kiddo, because you're on your own. Elizabeth... <laughs> Do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I have a fail. We had a, um, with the Martin Luther King holiday, had a like long weekend. That's a lot of time at home. We didn't like go camping or go do anything this weekend. So we decided we would finally try to sit everybody down to play the same board game. And just because of our ages, typically we sort of like, Jeff and I will play something with Teddy and maybe Oliver's involved in that. And then we also kind of regularly let either Oliver or Henry stay up at night and do a board game with us and maybe sometimes them together. But very rarely do we try to like sit the whole family down because of our ages. So we were like, this is it. Teddy really wanted to play Ticket to Ride Junior, which is a little advanced for him. But we were like, okay, maybe if, you know, we're on a team. It was total disaster in ways that we could never have predicted. Like everyone was mad. Uh, Henry was mad because like I had to help both Oliver and Teddy. So therefore, like I knew three of what three people were, you know, myself. Oh, yeah, them that's were totally doing. unfair. You knew what cards. Totally they unfair. I knew what was yeah. going. Not to mention, like I was playing a terrible game because I was trying to just like not block my other two kids. Anyway, it was a giant mess. Oliver just decided he was done because I we don't even know why he was winning and he just like got up and left and then Teddy just really is into like the colors like he was all about playing he had a great time but then of course he doesn't take losing well and of course he lost because he's four so it was just a like, like does that we won't do that again or at least not right now did Jeff win Jeff did win yeah <laughs> yeah he had a great time I bet <laughs> he had a great time no complaints from Jeff. <laughs> no, he just sat there, played his game. Right. Yeah. Systematically building trains <laughs> yeah, building across trains. the country. Yeah. He got the I coast to coast finally... card, I bet. No, no, no. Teddy got the coast to coast card with my help, and I did convince him that that was sort of like winning. Oh, that's good. Ooh, good <laughs> so, one. You know, he that did, is a good one. Did, yeah. So uh, in the end, you know, not a... Well, it was pretty much a disaster. I'm still finding Oliver's little red trains all over because he couldn't just leave the table. He left with a flourish Mm -hmm. um, of throwing his trains everywhere uh, and then said, I'm taking myself to my room where I will read by myself. (laughs) We were like, okay. Wow. So, yeah. I've I've never heard of a triumph like that, honestly. That's incredible. (laughs) 
Uh, it's true that at, the, at those exact ages, it's basically impossible to find anything like that. And uh, honestly, like Ticket Try Junior is like the game I would recommend for that age. Yeah, I mean, spam, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Try again. We'll try again, I'm sure. It'll be another fail. But one day, it'll be a victory. <laughs> yeah, it's going to feel so good when it is. How about you, Jamila? Trying for fail. I do have a fail today. So last night, I got a little frustrated because I put on my short order cook hat, as I often do, and allowed her to order dinner. And she'd requested turkey burgers. And I said, sure, no problem. And so... I had to take care of something in the other room and I come back and I see, you know, her plate. I hadn't even made my own plate yet, but I always make sure I, you know, I make her plate and let her start eating so her food doesn't get cold. And so I, I come back a few minutes later and she's, you know, she hasn't been eating. And I said, Naima, what's up? Like, and I think this maybe had already been like the second morning, like, okay, you know, you got to eat your food, especially if you want to play Barbies afterwards, which is like life altering, like. God forbid anything stops us from playing Barbie. So you would think, you know, getting the food eaten would be an important task to her, but it was not. And so I said, Naima, you know, I don't really eat that much. I, I, I eat like once a day, I graze. So like I cook for you. I was frustrated, you know? And so I try not to complain to my child about parenting, but I do try to highlight some of the things that mothers and fathers do. And so with the food, I said, I don't really eat very much, but I cook like three meals a day when you're here and I'm cooking them for you and I'm cooking things that you like. And oftentimes I'm giving you the opportunity to make a request or a suggestion. And she says, well, I didn't ask you to cook. You don't have to always cook. And instead of saying, well, Naima, it's important that you have, you know, three healthy meals per day and, and snacks. I said, well, I do. It's the law. <laughs> If I don't feed you three times a day, plus next, I get in big trouble. Yep. And I just left it there instead of getting into all that. I said, and you and you need to eat so you can grow. And that was it. I had no energy for nutrition. I had no nothing in me. All I had was it's stop making law. me cook. It's the law. The man Did is making me cook Did she eat it though? Me. Yeah, she ate it eventually. She was distressed. She wanted to play with something or, you know, there's a lot of busy energy at dinner and I get that. But... Just please, just eat the food. I hear it. Listen, you are, I, I am sure not just me, but so many people <laughs> relate to this. Especially when like talking 24-7 is a goal. And so to have to stop the flow of words coming out of their mouths <laughs> long enough to put food inside is a challenge. And I get it. I get it. You know, as much as I would love the peace that would come from just a few minutes of even open mouth chewing at this point, just to get some, just a break from mommy. Hey, mommy, 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 mommy. Hey, mommy, guess what? Just please just eat the food. I'm tired of cooking. I, I feel like, I feel like an actual chef. I cook so much. I've never cooked this much in my life. How Elizabeth, how do you live this way? Uh, my husband cooks. <laughs> That's why. I pack one of the meals. So at yeah. most I'm only making two meals and then breakfast is pretty much like done so the kids can get it themselves. So yeah. Um, our large meal is lunch, and that is the meal that either Jeff or I is, like, preparing, and the other two are on their own. Because we also don't typically sit down for for three meals. So we all yeah. eat our large family lunch, and then the kids get their, their boxes for dinner. So it does seem like breakfast is maybe the one where you can start to make inroads here. That's a meal that usually you can get kids to sort of make on their own if you keep it really, really simple. Are you currently expending a lot of effort on breakfast? Would it help you to get her to just like do her own bowl of cereal or whatever? 
Breakfast is my lowest energy meal most days. So like I even though I'm doing I'm still doing the bowl of cereal, like I have put them out, you know, like made the milk accessible and the bowl of cereal. Like so if she were to start, you know, sometimes Naima does get up before I do because like school starts at nine. She doesn't have to wake up at 7 a.m. That's her personal choice. Uh, and it's not one that works for me. <laughs> so, uh, oh, my God. So it's available to her. Um, some days I do give her a traditional breakfast. It's usually it's, it's lunch and dinner and yeah. it's like the lunch and dinner dishes. So yeah. I need to do a better job of coming up. Things just require less skillets and less pots because there's just so many dishes. Even if you make and then like package for reheating, because that was it for me, too. It's it's the like mess that is made in the kitchen um, that to me feels like the stressful. It's less about like actually making the food. Right. But even if I just make two things and make sure that one is just kind of in reheatable or put together, then it's like I'm doing all the mess at once. Because I also find the lunch and dinner like they can't, you know, because if it takes an hour to make, it's like I just got done in the kitchen. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and now here I have to come again to make a huge mess again. So meal prepping is what she's suggesting. Yeah, yeah. So in Revolutionary technique. <laughs> you should meal prep. <laughs> With the containers that I actually did purchase because, yeah. of course, I would own meal prep containers. But, like, even with something that she likes, like spaghetti, you know, kind of stuck between... You don't want to keep eating the same thing. Yeah, you know? totally. That's what trips me up is that I could just make the same things that are easy and don't create much of a mess every night. And honestly, my kids like them fine, but I just get so fucking bored that I can't do it. So I have to make something new and then it's always just more messy than it should be. And, but it's worth it to me. It's just, it's literally that it's a rut or a mess to clean up. Those are the choices. Those are the choices. Well, it is what it is. Let's talk business. In Slate Plus today, we'll be talking hand-me-downs of style and sentimentality. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you're a member of Slate Plus. Um, is it a small stuffed it's teddy? A sm- well, <laughs> so one is a monkey, one is a lion, and one is a elephant, I think. Are you worried that these things are, you've essentially created voodoo dolls? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, basically, which I'm going to give to their children. No. <laughs> To hear great segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 for your first year. It's a great way to support all your favorite Slate podcasts, and you won't hit a paywall on the site, so you can keep up with all of Slate's journalism. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, we'd sure like that. Go to slate.com backslash mom and dad plus and join Slate Plus today. Sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. Duh. It's the best place to be notified about everything Slate publishes about parenting, including mom and dad are fighting, ask a teacher, care and feeding, and much more. Plus, it's a fun personal email from Dan in your inbox each week. Sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Finally, if you want a place to talk to other parents, join our Facebook group. It's super active, and it's also well-moderated so it doesn't get out of control. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. 
Okay, let's get into our first listener question, which is being read, as always, by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. Starting at about four years old, my son became obsessed with dinosaurs. My husband came from a very Christian upbringing, and he believes dinosaurs were created by God along with all other life thousands of years ago. I grew up in a non-religious household, so I believe science and that dinosaurs existed hundreds of millions of years ago. Over the past year, whenever we read books or consume any media regarding dinosaurs, my husband will censor it to say that the dinosaurs lived a long time ago rather than specify the actual number of years. That was fine when he was younger, but now that he's over five, he's reading books on his own and asking our Alexa his own questions. How do I handle this with both my husband and my son? I don't want to lie to my son, but I also don't want to completely undermine my husband's beliefs. My husband's father even went so far as sending my son a pamphlet written by Bible-believing paleontologists, (laughs) isn't that an oxymoron, about how dinosaurs are a part of creationism. I can't, in good conscience, give this to my son, but I'm afraid what's going to happen when my father-in-law asks him about it. What do they teach in public schools about dinosaurs and evolution? I know this is just the tip of the iceberg for differences that my husband and I will encounter with raising our children in a mixed-belief household. How do I navigate all of this while maintaining a good relationship with my husband and not completely discrediting either of our core beliefs? Dino Mom. All right, Elizabeth, what do you have to say to this? So I think that there is an opportunity to not have to present the relationship between faith and science as opposing forces. And given that our letter writer is in a relationship with someone who has strong beliefs that are different than her own, she really needs to find a way to kind of model the respect of those beliefs while also explaining her own views. And I actually think that can be done with something as simple as like, your dad believes X, or, you know, I'm sure your dad has told you kind of what he believes. I'm inclined to believe this other thing, and here's why. And I think that if you think about the conversation not so much as about dinosaurs, but about laying the foundation of how you and your child are going to deal with different viewpoints in your family and kind of in the world at large, so that the goal is to have them looking at the information that's out there and doing some critical thinking about it. So you can lay out, you know, the reasons why you believe the dinosaurs and science, you know, is showing that the dinosaurs are this old and talk about carbon dating, sort of present all of those different arguments and not so much focus on censoring the material that's coming from your husband or from your husband's side of the family, but more as like, well, here's kind of my counter argument to that and leaving it there for for the kid to be making some decisions and getting some information and learning to intake information and make decisions. And I think as they come to you and ask, you can certainly say, you know, talk about what science is finding, how science works. I think, though, it's important as we talk about this to also understand that, like, all of these things can change. Like science makes discoveries all the time that redoes how we think about things. And so having that play into this argument too, so that you're never saying like the thing your father thinks is silly, 
or like that is a a lie, you can present your stuff as like, well, these are the facts from the place I like to get facts. And your father, you know, presents these views about dinosaurs from the church. And that's where he likes to go get his beliefs from. So I think there is a way to balance that and have these discussions because this is going to be the first of many of these things that you are going to face in in raising your child. And I think also having this conversation with your husband is important because it's also important that when he's explaining his views that he doesn't undercut your views either. So I think trying to find that balance and explaining everything and setting the groundwork of what are these things I'm telling you based on where do I get my information? Like, this is a way to lay that. You're right, Elizabeth, that this is only the first of many, many times that your husband and you are going to disagree about this science-faith divide, which I truly think it is, honestly. Um, And the letter writer acknowledges that, which I think is also good. It's clear that you know that this is something that's coming up. I also think this is probably the most low-stakes version of this conversation or of this disagreement that you're probably ever going to have. I don't know the specifics of your husband's beliefs, but certainly in plenty of families where one person puts a lot of faith in the church on scientific matters and one doesn't, there are disagreements about vaccination. There are disagreements about lots of things that are a lot heavier and a much bigger deal than how long ago dinosaurs roamed the earth, a thing that actually doesn't affect us in any way right now and doesn't hurt anyone in the real world. And so, yes, you need to start figuring out what is the way you're going to be talking about these differences um, in a way that is respectful and in a way that makes it clear that it's totally okay to respectfully disagree with other people, even in your family, about things that don't hurt other people. It is interesting to me that I hear in this letter a desire to be respectful of your husband's beliefs but also a clear desire that you do not actually want your child to grow up sharing those beliefs. And that is going to be the very difficult thing to navigate. And that I think is going to be where the sticking point is because you can talk all you want, as Elizabeth suggests, about presenting your beliefs and your husband presenting his beliefs and letting the child use their critical thinking to figure it out. But you should also decide what If anything, you're going to do if the child uses his critical thinking to figure it out and decides that dinosaurs were born 2,378 years ago, the same day as Adam and Eve. Like, so what do you do then? And you should be prepared for that eventuality because it's totally possible that it will happen. And you need to decide whether you're going to be fine with that and let it go because that is a system of belief that millions of people in the world abide by or whether you won't be able to abide by that. And and if so, what happens then? I'm with both Elizabeth and Dan. I, I think that you, it is important that you are presenting both of these dissenting opinions to your child as opinions that are held by people that he loves dearly, um, that are very different, and that these two people have learned to love each other despite having these very different views on essentially how the world was created and have found love despite having those views their entire lives. Um, And I think that's an example of something very positive that you can share. Um, 
But as Dan said, there is the issue that you want very badly for your son not to share his father's core beliefs. And that is a pretty tricky uh, thing to ask when you are still in a loving relationship with this person. This isn't, you know, somebody who's no longer in the house with whom there's some sort of contentious element and, and perhaps they've embraced something that's dangerous, right? This is somebody who you love and, and see to be a sensible person who simply believes something very different than what you do. I think the best way to have your son pick your side is to make a compelling argument for it while being respectful of um, his father and his family's religious beliefs, making a, you know, a concise, compelling argument that brings together what you believe to be factual information um, and providing him access to that information consistently. And if there are other views that, you know, perhaps your husband's family holds that are more problematic in relation to their religion, uh, which is a possibility. I'm not saying that it's a likelihood, but it's certainly possible. I would suggest concentrating your energy on debunking that um, and that their take on the creation story might not be the, the biggest fight worth having in your family. I want to just highlight one thing that Elizabeth said before, which I want to make sure doesn't get lost, which I do think is crucial to this. If your goal is to maintain a respectful relationship with your husband and his beliefs. And if his goal is to maintain a respectful relationship with you and yours, which is that the censoring on either side isn't, can't really work. That can't be a part of it. He can't be censoring books about dinosaurs and you can't be hiding the weird shit that your father-in-law sends. You just got to let that stuff go through in a case like this and make that just part of the information that he is getting that supports either side of this question. If your husband wants to just not read him the books about dinosaurs because he doesn't like the book that says the dinosaurs lived hundreds of millions of years, years ago, that's a choice he can make. I urge him to reconsider that choice because the kid is just going to ask for the dinosaur book 100,000 <laughs> fucking times. And if he really wants to stand by not reading it, okay, buddy. But Elizabeth is right that for this to work, you are not responsible for providing your husband's side of this debate, and he's not responsible for providing yours, but neither of you can be censoring the other one's side of the debate. You you can't be downplaying it or poo-pooing it or making fun of it or not allowing your child to see it. Like it's not that's not gonna work. But you can provide your answers to it. Like if you're right, sure. if you provide if if you guys look at the pamphlet. I think it's, you know, well within to be able to say, like, well, this is why I don't find this compelling. Right. Going back to your concern that, that your hope that your child, you know, ends up seeing things your way, probably public school is going to be your friend in this case. So for about 13 or 14 years, there are a couple of researchers at Penn State who've been doing this. I think every couple of years survey of public school science teachers asking them how they teach evolution and in what context evolution and creationism get raised in the classroom. And the numbers have actually gone way up. So in 2007, when they first did this study, only 51% of high school science teachers reported that they taught evolution as settled science and all the rest were doing either some combination of evolution and creationism and basically presenting them as equal or only talking about creationism or just not talking about it at all because they didn't even want to get into that shit. Anyways, that number is up to 67% now. 
17% of teachers do still teach creationism as a viable alternative to evolution in public schools. I think it really depends on where you are. It depends on often on whether you're in a city versus someplace smaller. This is in public schools. Private schools um, have their own styles. Plenty of religious private schools are very creationism heavy still. Um, but, you know, it doesn't always turn out the way you might think it turned out. When we moved to Kansas, I was honestly pretty worried about this. There were huge creationism versus evolution debates in Kansas schools in the early 2000s, um, right about the time that this study started being done. We had you know people ha-ha joke to us when we were about to leave, oh, enjoy learning about creationism in schools, kids. As it happened, that wasn't the case at all. Our town's curriculum, the state curriculum, in science was totally science focused and didn't really mention creationism at all. And in large part, that was because of a local teacher from Hayes who'd gotten herself onto the state school board running on a pro-science platform in response to the creationism debates that had happened about 15 years before. It's not necessarily that if you live in a place that is very religious, that you're necessarily going to get creationism in public schools. Maybe you will, and maybe you won't. It's worth it to ask your child's teachers how they handle this material it's worth it if this is important to you to urge them to focus on science as much as the curriculum allows them to. But often they're at the, you know, at the mercy of their textbooks and the curriculum that the state or their local school board has set. So that may or may not help your cause. In more cases than not, it will help you with your cause, though. I want to say, too, that I earnestly believe that there is like a way forward in which this child chooses like some of both parents to take forward. And certainly as you get older, there's plenty of, there are plenty of scientists who believe in God in different ways. You know, I think this dinosaur thing is like so focused on this date that it seems sort of silly to be the hill that many people want to <laughs> sort of die on about all of this. But it, I think there is a path forward so long as you stay respectful about things and continue to like just present information and letting them find a way. So I don't think particularly with this dinosaur thing that either parent should feel like this is an all or nothing. Like if my child chooses to believe this way or gets all this information that that has set a path forever for every belief. I, I think there is a lot of ground in the middle where you can accept what science offers and also accept God. Like I, I think there is a place for that. So here is kind of like your first test of that water. It is funny to me that there's a little like little piece of information buried in this letter, which I think maybe will render all of this moot, which is that in the end, what's going to happen in this family is that the dad is going to say one thing and the mom is going to say the other thing, but the kid won't care about either of those. The kid will just go by whatever Alexa says. Yeah. Whatever Alexa says about <laughs> that's dinosaurs true, that's true. is what the kid will believe is true. <laughs> So you should check what Alexa says about dinosaurs. I don't that know. is a very, very real possibility. The first time you have to argue against something your child has read on the internet. That's terrible. It is a, Ugh. it is an experience that you will not forget. And it's something you'll be doing for the rest of your life. Just as you have to argue with your parents about things that they read on the internet. Uh, right. Good luck to you. Uh, thank you so much for writing in, Letter Writer. I uh, hope that was helpful. Please keep us posted. We really, really do love updates. Um, and even though I think this is an update that'll kind of be going on for the rest of your child's life. 
But uh, if you have any anecdotes, we are certainly uh, all ears. And if anyone else has a problem or a concern that they'd like for us to consider on the show, send us an email, uh, momanddad at slate.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now we're going to get into our second listener question of the week being read once more by the extraordinary Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, my 14-year-old daughter and her friend are going to their first concert at the Hard Rock Cafe in October assuming the pandemic has passed. How can I help them have a blast while still staying safe? It's a new, potentially risky situation, and she's experiencing it alone, so I'm nervous. What should I tell her? How should I prepare her? What should I be looking at to know she's ready for the responsibility of this experience? Okay, first, I need to know, and you can totally send us this privately, Holmes. Is your fourteen-year-old going to see you perform at the Hard Rock Cafe? Are, are you are you like white me? Are you raising? Because I'm raising a new edition Bobby Brown obsessed child. So are you raising a fourteen-year-old that's obsessed with fish or Hootie and the Blowfish? I I need to know. I'm going to Google and find out. Are those the two white bands? Yes. No, they're the two bands that I place in the moment in history in which I feel the Hard Rock Cafe was actually relevant. That's what it is Got to it. me. So Got I would have put the Spice Girls in that category too, but I don't think they'd be playing a little Hard Rock Cafe. Mm-mm, no, they'd be at Wembley Arena for a 10 nights. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, I we don't know who the band is. I really wanted to write back to this person to ask who the band was, but it turned out that they posted this as a question on Facebook Rosie grabbed it for the show, and then I accidentally deleted it without posting it because the Facebook UI is so bad. So So sorry, letter writer. No one else besides us ever saw this question, but we are here to address it and try and solve it for you. I also really want to know who the band is. I also think that has a lot to do with what the vibe might be like at this show. But probably at the Hard Rock Cafe, it's going to be not, it's not going to be a lot of punks or horrible people. It's not going to be like the, the hardest edged of shows. So. First thing I want to tell you, letter writer, I think this kid is totally going to be fine. You worried in your letter that she's going to be there alone, but I just want to remind you that she is not there alone. First of all, she's there with a friend. Second of all, she's there with a phone, maybe even more important than being there with a friend. So she can use that phone if anything goes wrong. So already she is two steps ahead of, for example, me in 1987, roaming Summerfest by myself and watching Sigmund Snopek sing inappropriate songs about blowjobs on the comedy stage. So like that will not be happening to your daughter. You're driving her there. Presumably you're picking her up. Presumably the amount of time that she'll be on her own is 
minuscule. So I would say that step one is relax a little and breathe. I believe that your child will get through this just fine. There are things that are worth it to talk to her about, and they're probably extensions of conversations that you've already been having with her for some time, maybe with some concert-oriented specifics thrown in. I'm sure you've already talked to her a lot about drawing clear boundaries with other people and about how to respond if other people are pushing those boundaries. You probably have talked to her a lot about when you're out with a friend, how you and your friend are support for each other and buddies for each other, and you stick together and you keep an eye on each other. Maybe you haven't yet talked to her about keeping an eye on your drink, but maybe now is the time to start having that conversation. What other things do you two think she should be talking to her daughter about before this show? So I kind of assume that she must trust her daughter like quite a bit to decide that you could go without a chaperone. And like you said, has already thought about this. But I was just walking through like all of the things that maybe haven't come up at like a house party or something else maybe they've been to. But specifically things like when you go to the bathroom, how you and your friend are to behave that, you know, you should never be separated from your friend. So if one of you is going to go somewhere, you should both go. Like, just those sort of things that in a more familiar environment, you might not um, need, like, that level of just walking through in details. And I think it's important, too, that you have a conversation about your expectations and not in the sense of, like, these are the rules, but, like, I will be here for you and you can call me at any point and I will come get you, right? You don't have to explain anything to me. I am here for you. Like setting up those things that should her and her friend make a bad choice or something bad happen to them, that you will be there and it will not be assigned to them as like this, I don't want to call my parents to get me out of this. Like, I trust you to go to this, but I also know, like, I know you're 14 and I know this is a big deal and I'm here for you. I think that's huge. I think the idea that if something, you know, if something bad happens, if something scary happens, uh, that you're more focused on problem solving, which is um, going to involve one of your parents as opposed to protecting yourself from what you think your punishment might be, uh, especially because a situation like that, while it's more likely that things will go just fine if something were to happen uh, untoward at a concert, that is a situation in which your child could be completely you know, blameless and, and just simply was there. I think Dan and Elizabeth did a great job of checking the typical boxes for concerts, right? Because they're much like other social gatherings. Um, Thinking about your drink, thinking about what you eat. Um, You know, at concerts, people sell edible marijuana. You know, you should talk about that. And also, of course, you're discouraging your 14-year-old from buying, you know, even something that looks packaged and, you know, respectfully made, but that it's somebody who's carrying uh, brownies in her knapsack that she made herself, you know, even if you were curious, you have no way of knowing what's in there, you know, and, and how safe she is, how clean she is, and what those brownies But definitely be. if you buy them, you should bring an extra one right. home. If you do, just to buy the only, just buy the one and give it to me. Yeah. Um, but no, I think one distinct difference between concerts and other social activities is the age difference. All ages show means literally people of all ages. Um, There could be people who are there with their children. There are likely to be other 14-year-olds there. You have to be incredibly mindful that um, social interactions between kids and adults are not uh, something that should be 
taking place outside the context of your family and your community, right? In spaces in which you may chit-chat with a, a guy in your neighborhood because you and your father see him on walks. You may have um, a woman in your church who is, you know, almost like a friend because you talk of, you know, you all have banter about a shared interest in a rock band or something. But when you're out at a concert, you're not collecting adult friends, um, and, and you do have to be particularly mindful of men, regardless of what your your daughter's own orientation is, who are interested in very young girls and, and women that are interested in very young girls, too. I, I don't want to erase the ability of women to be predatory because it is certainly there. Uh, but they need to be mindful of adults who do not. But be mindful of the men. Right. But, 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 <laughs> but like, it's, most it's, cool. it's fine. Like, you know that men have a particular thing with teenage girls. And I don't know if your girl, you know, how your daughter presents, if she's wearing makeup. Men know the difference between a 14-year-old in makeup and a 14-year-old without makeup uh, as much as they like to pretend otherwise. But it's just, I think of my first concerts. I might have been 15 or 16. First of all, my first concert, it was Maxwell or Jill Scott. I went to both the same time in my junior year in high school, junior, senior year. And I know that I ran... First concert without parents. First concert without parents. Um, Mm -hmm. And we were dropped off. And this was a big theater. You know, there were cell phones among us. I don't think everybody has cell phones, but like in the crew, there were cell phones, you know, so a pickup and drop off was very coordinated. I know that I ran my silly ass backstage at that Maxwell concert. And I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I don't know what, like, did I want to hug him? Did I want to meet him? I don't know. Something just came over me and I bolted ran, right? Maybe it's just the, the idea of the, I don't know, but I ran. And so, and I got back there and, and this lady who I thought was a hater and now I realized was a responsible adult, you know, got me back out of there. But um, there are a lot of guys in the music industry that are interested in young women. And a lot of them have adjacency to bands and musicians, right? They are around. I, I know a lot of stories. And you want to be careful of that so that your daughter is not, you know, looking for an autograph or right or waiting in the, you know, if that's something that she wants to do, then that's something that I I think at 14, her parents should be there for, you know, and this Mm -hmm. is an all ages concert. If if she's able to get in, you can come. You won't be the only grown up there. You know, perhaps if you all agree that her and her friend will have their time in the concert to themselves. So in a venue like that, you can be there and not be in her space. You know, like you can be... You could be enjoying an $18 margarita. I was going to say, child is at the <laughs> you can concert, totally yeah. bring a book and, you know, have a cocktail and relax and, and, and feel comfortable knowing that if something were to happen, uh, that you were right there. And, and that the likelihood of extended adult interaction with your child, because I think honestly... Beyond uh, having a drink spikes, which is also something that's more likely to come from, I think, an adult interaction than one with another 14-year-old at this point. But the ability for adult interaction and a place in which we are now peers. We are here together as music lovers, you know? So I'm quite naturally just talking to you or, you know, or the, the boy who looks like a college boy or, you know... Talk about no, you know, whatever. If she's interested in boys or interested in girls, talk to her. I mean, there's the men conversation, but there's also the don't assume because somebody tells you that they're your same age, that they're actually your age. You, you know, have a, you should have a pretty clear idea at 14, what a 17 or 18 year old looks like versus a 14 or 15 year old versus a, you know, a 20 or 21 year old. And to be wise, I want you to go to the concert is what I'm telling you. Despite (laughs) Jamila's many, uh, horrible possibilities that she has presented here (laughs) i still think this will be fine and also this has made me very nostalgic for the era of going to concerts uh 
Jamila, your first one was Maxwell or maybe Jill yes. Scott. Elizabeth, what was yours? Indigo Girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. Classic Georgia upbringing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How old were you at the Indigo Girls? I would have been like a senior in high school. I went to a small high school, but with half my high school there, you know, it felt like an extension. I don't think we had a lot of this because I was never leaving my group. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what I remember about going to concerts was it being more of like a, a, a group, group experience with a larger group such that I someone coming into the group would have been like alert from the entire group yep. right like why is this person in our in our space we did a lot of right. things in, in large we rolled yeah deep. that was it. until it, yeah, and, us too I think until especially we're girls I think until the point where it becomes an issue to get into places because there's too many of you like right that is the way to roll my first one without parents was in excess at Summerfest in 1985. I was 10. I went with my older brother. Oh, wow. I was going to say 1985, Dan. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was a baby, but so that was a memorable show because there was a gigantic thunderstorm with like tornado warnings and the concert was completely washed out and the Summerfest grounds were flooded and we just ran around the park <laughs> like in the dark and the power was out, just shoving each other into lakes and we were totally fine, just like this lady's kid will also be fine. I, think I do think go she's going to be totally fine. And I think it's yes. it's such a good experience. I do err on the side of, like, Jamila, I, I as a parent would want to be close. So even not if at the concert, like, like hey, I'm just going to go do this other thing in the area so that I could be there to respond if something happened. Again, I don't think anything's going to happen, but... Yeah. Having never been a teenage girl to concert, I think it'll be fine, but I will I will yield to your guys superior knowledge on this yeah like question. i also would feel better knowing that my parents trusted me to go but also that my parents or somebody or a trusted adult was not too far you know yeah oh here's the one non-negotiable point you should make i think which is that your child should wear earplugs I yes i wrote down earplugs, earplugs too at the concert and now my hearing sucks as a result where make her wear earplugs i would add if your child has a crush on any of the artists who are performing, you <laughs> should be there for the let out. Like that moment in which it might be. You'll have picked you'll have picked the kid yeah, up well I think before they're the gonna, let out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, make sure I, don't stick don't let them stick around for the let pick out. Pick them up at the yeah. end of the time. Yeah. Show up early. Don't don't let them Definitely show, up, show early. up early. Be prepared to wait. Wouldn't you enjoy a concert at the Hard Rock Cafe too, Mom? I mean, after Come a on. pandemic, I want I'll go. If this is in LA, do do we have one? You can't wait to see Fish and Hootie and the Goldfish on the double bill. Gladly, <laughs> gladly attend and supervise. You just let us know. Thank you so much, Letter Writer. Congratulations to your child and hopefully you for getting to go to a concert, a thing that I, I dream of often at night. Keep us posted. Let us know how it goes. Uh, we might be there. I've been looking. I know Adam Sandler has some dates booked, but I'm trying to figure out what's going on at the Hard Rock Cafe and which one uh, I might pull up to. We maybe will have a mom and dad are fighting live reunion show uh, at the Hard Rock, <laughs> the Hard Cafe, Rock Cafe fish concert with our fish sandwiches. <laughs> Uh, can't, can't wait. wait thank you for writing uh, if you have a question for us fellow listeners don't forget you can send an email at mom and dad at slate.com or you could do what this listener did and post it to the slate 
parenting Facebook group. Hopefully, Dan will not <laughs> Sorry. will not delete it. If it is deleted, just know it wasn't me because I'm. It's a really I don't the know interface is so shitty. I'm really. Nevertheless, sorry. we we rescued your question. Okay, so before we get out of here, we're going to do our recommendations for the week. Elizabeth, let's start with you. What are you enthusiastically endorsing this week? I like these they're called warmies and they're heatable stuffed animals and my kids got them for christmas and honestly i was kind of like eh, they have been so great they go in the microwave and they get warm but not too warm and you can i feel like i should have gotten one actually you can put them down you know you can put them in the bed and it makes the bed kind of warm but also we've been like taking them out hiking and stuff and just warming them before we go and then uh putting them in the stroller and putting them in the kids' beds, they stay warm for a really long time, and they smell kind of like lavender, and they come in every adorably, you know, stupid animal you can ever think of. Um, Oliver got a pig, and he named it Bacon. <laughs> so Aww, We also had a stuffed pig named Bacon when the kids were growing up. Because it goes in the microwave. It's like the best so anyway they're they're called warmies they're really lovely and uh they have really been helping in our in the cold snap we're experiencing here in florida i heard about that my dad emailed me and was like it is 55 yeah, degrees yeah, exactly. we're, we're freezing. freezing that's so funny yeah. i could use one of those Babies. dan what are you recommending uh, I'm recommending a game. Uh, Elizabeth, do not play this with your whole family. It would be an enormous disaster. You may remember from a couple weeks ago my story of the failures of plane pandemic and how I learned from that not to teach, try to teach my kids a, a game that seemed way too complicated. So uh, for Christmas, I got Alia a game called Wingspan, which is about birds. And the reason I got it for her is because Alia, because she's old now, like me, likes birds suddenly uh just a couple years ago it just came on her like a fever suddenly she was like we should we should get bird feeders i love birds and then almost immediately afterwards she found like a meme on facebook that was like signs you're old number one you love birds all of a sudden (laughs) but anyways she loves birds now so i got her this game called wingspan which is enormously complicated but harper and i sat down last weekend and taught ourselves the game. We sort of went through the rules and the example game, and it took us like an hour to figure it out, but we figured it out. This went fine. Whereas That's what I was just about to her say. How did this go okay? <laughs> I've, it went great. We had the greatest time. I have no fucking idea how. But so we figured out Wingspan, so then we could teach it to everyone else in the family. And it is a slow and very complicated game, but yet one that all the kids have been able to figure out and understand and enjoy. And it's a deliberately paced game in which you have a nature preserve and you are trying to fill it with the most beautiful, interesting birds you can. It takes like an hour and a half to play and we really love it. Lyra thinks it's boring. The other three of us really love it. And I just find it sweet and very chill and ex- and no one cares who wins at the end because you all have these beautiful birds. You've learned a little bit about birds. There's a little bird house that you build oh that you put the dice in to roll them. It's the cutest thing. It's like this game costs like 60 fucking dollars. <laughs> it is so expensive, but it is. It's great. I love it. Anyways, it's called Wingspan. If upon hearing me describe it, you were like, I love it. I want it. You will love this game. If upon hearing me describe it, you were like, what the fuck is this stupid game? <laughs> don't, don't, don't buy it. it. You'll hate it. I admire your commitment to continue investing in expensive games, knowing that your track, even though the track record seems to be turning around, 
I mean, we still have that other game sitting in the closet, possibly never to be played, <laughs> plus Pandemic, which we'll never, never play again. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Well, I have, this isn't my first Trader Joe's recommendation. And I think that um, apparently my last one was like wildly popular. Uh, the drinking chocolate. It was just like super hard to find. I didn't know it was like a cult item of some sort, I guess. Um, but I think I'm... I've discovered what the next big Trader Joe's thing is going to be. And it is the gluten-free cinnamon coffee cake muffins. They are not healthy. They are fake healthy. But they are so good. They do not have that dust taste that gluten-free baked goods so often (laughs) are marred by. Uh, There's a tiny little touch of it, but it is completely um, consumed by the sour cream, uh, cinnamon, and brown sugar that make these muffins so moist and so delicious. They really are... I mean, muffins are just cake in denial, which is fine with me because I think that cupcakes are oftentimes just gratuitously sweet with all of the icing. But I'm telling you, these are so yummy. Like Naima loves them. I love them. They're delicious. I bought two packages just in case after we went through the first one for fear that everyone's going to fall in love with them. and I'll just never see them again. But they're really, 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 really good. Yum. Yes. Trader Joe's gluten-free cinnamon coffee cake muffins. I'm committed to like making very uh, unhealthy suggestions. I think it's key. The key lime pie is spreading. I appreciate that the, every so often that I do go on Facebook, somebody in the Facebook group has made the key lime pie and posted a picture of There's it. a beautiful picture of key lime pie yeah. posted to the Facebook group. This it makes week. me so A real happy. highlight of the Facebook group. Yes. I love that. That's the best thing about uh, going on Facebook every six weeks. So please keep tagging me in your key lime pie pages. I never want to get back to my pre-pandemic wait really okay well that is our show one last time if you need parenting advice email us at mom and dad at slate.com or post it to the slate parenting slash key lime pie facebook group just search for slate parenting and also if you haven't already please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform or if you pay for all of them you might as well subscribe to us on all of them why not it helps us out and it makes sure you won't miss a single episode and while you're at it tell your friends about the show please we'd appreciate it mom and dad are fighting is produced by rosemary belson june thomas is senior managing producer and alicia montgomery is executive producer of slate podcast gabriel roth is slate's editorial director of audio for dan Coyce and elizabeth newcamp i'm jamila lemire what just that one time but never again I have to keep them, I have to keep everybody guessing. Just the one time. (laughs) With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.